You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. Straight people suck. That's not something I believe. It's something a whole bunch of people who want to prevent same-sex couples from having the same rights and privileges and responsibilities as opposite-sex as opposite-sex couples seem to believe. Recently, we had the previous pope, the Dowager Pontiff, we will call him, arguing that we can't have same-sex marriage because then everyone will get gay married. And I don't understand why straight people aren't offended by that. That's not necessarily a straight people suck argument from the pope, the previous pope, the dowager pope. That is a straight people don't exist argument from the previous pope. And the only thing preventing everyone on earth from being as gay as they really are and want to be is the unavailability of marriage licenses in most places for same-sex couples. Once those are available, no more penis and vagina. It's all penis in same-sex butt. But we've seen this sort of emerging argument that straight people suck. It's kind of the last desperate argument of the anti-gay, anti-equality right. Uh, we just had the arguments before the Supreme Court on DOMA and on Prop 8 in California. And in the amicus briefs filed by the supporters of Prop 8, they argued that marriage needs to be reserved to opposite-sex couples because only opposite-sex couples get pregnant by accident. If you're a same-sex couple, you can't get drunk and adopt one night. You can't get completely wasted on meth and coke and drop by for IVF treatments. You can't get pregnant by accident if you're a lesbian or a gay man typically. And the argument goes without the inducements of marriage and marriage being exclusively reserved for opposite-sex couples and therefore very special, opposite-sex couples will get pregnant by accident and abandon their children by the side of the road to die unless they can have cake. That's only for them. Wedding cake, just for them. Otherwise, we will kill our children. It makes me think of that famous National Lampoon cover from the 70s where they had a dog on the cover with a gun to its head and it said, buy this magazine or we will kill this dog. Let us and only us marry or we will kill these children. They make this argument and it upsets me as a gay person and I don't understand why it doesn't upset straight people when the defenders of traditional marriage argue that traditional marriage needs to stay traditional and only opposite sex couples should be able to marry because otherwise straight people will not do right by their own children, will abandon their children. Gay people get upset. Why don't straight people get upset? And today, just this morning as we sat down to record the show, another straight people suck argument emerges. A top Republican in Georgia has sounded an ominous warning that legalization of same-sex marriage may also lead to fraud writes Talking Points Memo this morning. Sue Everhart, chairwoman of the Georgia Republican Party, told a newspaper, blah, 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 that once gay marriage is legalized, there's nothing to stop a straight person from exploiting the system in order to claim marital benefits. You may be straight as an arrow. You may have a friend that is straight as an arrow, Everhart said. Say you had a great job with the government where you had this wonderful health plan. I mean, what would prohibit you from saying that you're gay and y'all get married and live as separate, but, you know, get all the benefits? Says the GOP idiot. So if we legalize same-sex marriage, straight people who suck will commit fraud. Not that they aren't already committing fraud. Straight people get married for immigration. Straight people get married 
Because they ain't in love, but they want benefits. Straight people stay married sometimes just for the benefits, not for the love. The irony here is these are the same people. The ones who are now suddenly worried about fraudulent same-sex hetero marriage who encourage gay people to enter into fraudulent opposite-sex marriages. These are the same people who say that gay people aren't being discriminated against because we have the same right to marry opposite-sex partners that any straight person has. Ah, she goes on. And I love this. I love the shit out of this. Everhart also expressed a distaste for homosexuality, which she argued is unnatural, la la la. Lord, I'm going to get in trouble over this, she said. But it is not natural for two women or two men to be married. If it was natural, they would have the equipment to have a sexual relationship. You know, after screaming and yelling for years for centuries about the evils, the dangers, the health risks, the immorality, and the irresistible allure of gay sex. I say irresistible allure and I say it just like that because these are the ones who argued that if we made same-sex marriage legal, everyone would go gay and the human race would go extinct, which must mean that gay sex is so hot that straight people really want to have it exclusively. Anyway, after arguing for centuries about the evils of gay sex – all that hot and sweaty butt sex the gays were having. The haters are now suddenly claiming that we really don't have sex at all. This is an emerging argument on the right. Cardinal George, Chicago's archbishop, said that gay people shouldn't be allowed to marry because we cannot consummate our marriages. Which prompted me to get on Twitter and suggest that people send the good cardinal video evidence of them consummating the shit out of each other. And now here comes the head of the Republican Party in Georgia – Arguing that gay people shouldn't be able to get married because we're not equipped to have sexual relationships. In a related development, Terry and I did the impossible last night. So we're not just gay guys anymore. We are superheroes or something because we did the impossible. We do the impossible all the time. Ah, the stupid it burns. I didn't even get to the health educator at a public school in Idaho who is being investigated and may lose his job for using the word vagina in a human anatomy class. That also happened this week. You would think that the people who don't want me using Terry's ass the way that I do would be all about promoting vagina. They would be screaming vagina from the rooftops. They would have trucks going up and down the streets in gay neighborhoods with speakers mounted on top extolling the virtues of vaginas. But no. They don't want the gays having the gay sex and they don't want anyone to find out what a vagina is, particularly boys in an anatomy class. You don't want them to know what a vagina is. You know, they worry that same-sex couples aren't equipped for sexual relationships and yet they're so fucking paranoid about anyone mentioning the equipment that straight couples, particularly young straight people, might need to familiarize themselves with before they have their sexual relationships. <sighs> The stupid, as the bloggers have been saying for the last 15 years, it burns. Your calls after this. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Just go to AdamandEve.com and enter Savage at checkout. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, and now an online store. Check out their new commerce solution so you can start selling stuff immediately. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com and use offer code SAVAGE4. Hi, Dan. I'm a 36-year-old woman living in Los Angeles. 
I've been dating a man for two months. The sex is great, and we're both really kinky. I'm a sub, he's a dime, it works out perfect. We like the same kinds of kink, which is even better. We get along and have great conversations and enjoy the same movies and TV shows. Essentially, we have a lot in common. Today, I brought up the issue of moving from dating casually to dating monogamously. I said I didn't want to get super serious, but that I also didn't want either of us to be distracted by dating other people at this point. I explained that I like him a lot and that I'm probably going to keep on liking him, but that I've been burned before, so I'm skittish about going any further without some commitment. He told me that he needed to think it over. My question is pretty simple. How long do I give him to think it over? Should I even bother? I mean, after two months of dating and seeing each other a few times a week, shouldn't he know if he wants to be monogamous with me at this point? He's not poly, and he says he's talking to other women but not dating them. I don't really know what that means. Do I give up and move on with my cracked heart and my bruised ego? Did I bring this up too soon? You get along. You like the same TV shows. You like the same movies. You have a really good time together. You, your kinks are in rough alignment. You have a lot in common, as you say. But have you entertained the, the, the thought that there's a possibility that maybe you don't have monogamy in common? You say that he doesn't want to be poly, but there's a lot of points on the continuum between monogamous and polyamorous you know, monogamish and an open relationship and a commitment to you that's, you know, penis and vagina exclusive, but he can still play with other female subs. It doesn't sound like you know where he falls on that spectrum generally or what his expectations or, or, or desires are. So two months isn't too soon to bring up the subject to lay it out on the table. This is how I feel. These are the things I want to do. But for you to, you know, call in the loan basically and say, to keep seeing me, you will be monogamous when you don't know or you must be monogamous. Monogamous is what I want. When you don't know how he feels about monogamy, that may have startled him if you haven't had conversations about this. And I assume since you wrote your question out, if you had sussed him out about monogamy and he had said he wasn't interested in monogamy, you would have mentioned that. So it sounds like you haven't even talked about monogamy as a relationship model, as a concept and you're already asking this person who is considering, you know, that he's kinky and he's dom and he's out there and he's part of the kink community. Those people are – those people. I shouldn't say it like that. Those people will get mad at me if I call them those people. But people in the kink community are likelier to be poly or open or not monogamous or monogamously committed to one partner but allowed to play BDSM-wise with others and you guys haven't talked about it yet. So uh, I don't think two months is too soon to like – feel each other out, particularly if you're already sexually active. But two months is too soon to expect a monogamous commitment from someone, particularly if that someone isn't interested in monogamy, which you didn't figure out or even talk about before you laid down your chits and said, being with me means we're moving towards monogamy. And now, and he balked. He wants to think about it a little bit. Maybe what he's thinking right now is monogamy isn't what I want. It isn't what I've done generally in the past, but I love her so much. We have so much in common. I will think about perhaps making a monogamous commitment to her because she matters to me that much and maybe monogamy is the price of admission I'm willing to pay. But he had to go away and think on that for a while and there you are, kind of being a little butt sore because when you raised monogamy, he wasn't like, oh, yes, yes, monogamy. Uh, uh, all I want. That's what I want. You, you, you. Who knows? He went away to think about it. You may get the answer that you want. If you haven't curdled in your own bitterness and anger that you had to wait five minutes for the answer that you want, let him think about it. See what he says when he comes back. He might say, not what I wanted, not what I've done in the past, but I want you so much I will do that. And wouldn't that be wonderful if he said that? Or he might say, 
not what I want and not what I'm willing to do. Here's what I'm willing to do. Here are the compromises I'm willing to make. And then you decide if you're willing to pay that price of admission to be with him. Hello, Dan and the tech savvy at risk youth. I'm calling from the East Coast. For fun and profit, I'm a foot model, meaning I attend parties where I meet guys who worship my and my fellow models' feet feet for a fee. I love this work. It's fun. It's a great ego boost. And it has established a very respectable savings account. Inevitably, you're going to find a troll now and then, and one popped up this week. He went through channels, asked if he could set up a private session with one of a few models, myself included, and I emailed him to see if it would work. And then I found out that he is a complete asshole with a history of being a troll and verbally abusive to other models, at least in emails. I wish I had not been so fast to contact him, but now that I have, I want to disengage. I have copies of emails that prove exactly how unsavory and, quite frankly, unsafe this guy is, but I'm sick of bullies, and I don't know if I have the energy to make a crusade out of this. So, any thoughts? So, uh, there's one question I want to ask you that I think everybody wants to ask you, uh, just to tell us a little bit about these foot parties. People hear about them, that they're these foot fetish, foot model parties, and male foot fetishes pay, and women come, and it's a kind of really bar set pretty low sex work, like bar set at your ankles low sex work. And I think that intrigues a lot of people. Um, the main rule is uh, the gentleman callers do not touch the model above the knee. It is from the knee down. Uh-huh. And so, uh, at least this particular flavor of party is $20 for 10 minutes, and the guy can basically kiss, touch, massage, spank, and that's all fine. Uh-huh. What, what was it like the first time you did it, and, and how did you get into it? How did you find out about these parties, and how did you get into this kind of fetish modeling? Well, my friend, um, I, was, I was at a play party, and a kinky friend of mine asked, hey... Um, I know about these parties. Um, I don't know if you'd be interested in that. And I was like, well, yeah, why don't I give that a shot? It turns out it is a lot of fun. I I really like making people happy. You know, <laughs> I I can be <laughs> I can be Dommy, I can be the girl next door. I, I I'm pretty much a chameleon when it comes to sucking out what somebody wants. Uh-huh. Take us back to that first party. What was it like that first time when you walked through the door to, 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 to be this foot fetish model and the first guy gave you the $20 bill or however that payment system works and went to town on your fee? What was going through your head and what did it feel like? Oh, it was, it was really nerve-wracking, a little bit nervous because, you know, it was my first time and it was really dark and the lights were set low. We were in a little um, cubby that was... Um, it's basically, um, they set up these curtains so there's privacy for, um, you know, it's, but it's not that big. And so, you know, I have to keep track of the time and be sexy and, you know, have a good time myself. So it was, I think I lost track of time. I think I ended up giving him one minute, not ten. <laughs> are, are they naked? Do they get to beat off? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, nobody touches anybody's genitalia ever. Uh-huh. Everybody stays closed. Um, 
And if anybody does try to go south of the border on this or on you, you're free to, you know, politely say, I'm really sorry, I don't do that, um, and get up and leave if they persist, and they'll get kicked out if they continue, because that is against the law. Wow. <laughs> so we, it's a strictly legal proposition. Okay. Sounds like fun. I wish I had prettier feet. So about this dude, <laughs> about this dude who you yeah. met through the party system, uh, these organized foot fetish parties, and he asked you for a private session, a solo session outside of the sort of party universe. What is it that he did? Vague, you know, generally, you say he behaved badly to somebody that you know, and you have the emails proving it. What did he do that, yeah. that gives you such pause? really rude uh, rude to my my colleague and he wanted to I think he wanted to jack off during a private session and she said no I'm really offended that you would even suggest such a thing this is a guy who had been to parties several times and knew the rules had it been established in advance of the private session that it would work the exact same way the public foot parties would I would assume if I was doing foot fetish modeling and somebody wanted a private session with me they might want something more going on at that private session like the freedom to whip it out and jack it off. Was that something that he tried to renegotiate during the scene and that was what was so uncool about his behavior? So the deal is that at least for me and for basically all of the models that I know, I stick to the same rules as the public parties because it's still illegal and I don't want guys to get the idea that I'm going to go further than what they'll get. Right. At a party. And if you're doing a private session, there won't be the bouncers, there won't be the social control of other people right. around, you're alone and more vulnerable. So if the guy's trying to up the ante in that environment, you may feel more pressured or coerced to go along with it. But did he, did, 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 yeah. he have a pri- did he have a private session with this woman where he misbehaved or was a dick? Uh, I believe that they never did get to that point. They were still in negotiation, and he and he expressed the interest to to jack off and to finish himself off. Was he belligerent? In like, was he pushy yeah. and demanding and angry that she wouldn't agree to it? Yes. Uh, basically, he started calling her names and belittling her. Okay. And for not going along with this. Okay. And so she, basically, she told him to fuck off, and <laughs> that was the end of that. And so this guy approached you for a private session, and you found out after he approached you that he had had this interaction with someone else? That's correct. Um, basically, what happened was the, um, the organizer, the new organizer of, of the uh, public event, got the message from this guy. And he requested several people, and myself included, so I thought, like, whoa, somebody likes me, yay! Uh-huh. And the hilarious thing is, is that he requested the same girl that he, he had dipped two years earlier. Ah, okay. As, as if she wouldn't remember. Like, okay. Are you kidding me? Now, if he hadn't been belligerent, if he hadn't started calling her names and being an entitled dick-having dick about it, <laughs> the fact that he wanted to upgrade the experience to still only interacting with your friend from the knee down, but freedom in this more private setting and with you know perhaps paying her more, freedom to jerk himself off at the same time and your friend had said no and he had gone on his merry way, there wouldn't be a problem here. It's that he then turned into a belligerent entitled dick. So, you know, there's plenty of people out there who do foot fetish modeling who in a private session would let someone jerk off. It's not, I think, some gross violation of sex work norms that the person who's 
paying uh, to be, you know, who's hiring a sex worker might want to masturbate in, in a session like that. Plenty of guys masturbate when they see pro doms who don't do any, in, you know, penis and vagina or oral sex at all, but they will let a guy masturbate. And it's not unheard of for somebody who's hiring a pro dom to ask politely if they're allowed to jack themselves off during a session or immediately after a session or when it ends. And a dom can say yes or no. And then the client right. can say, well, then I'm not going to hire you because I'd really like to do that. And then they can say, okay, goodbye. We're not right for each other. And he can find a dom who is cool with that. So that he asked right. to like, you know, do more than is allowed at the parties, I don't think makes him an asshole. That he freaked out when she said, no, I'm only willing to do what I do at the parties, makes him an asshole. And I think you should say something to him. And then you can block his email. You know, if, you, if you're afraid that he's going to call you names after you say something to him, like he called her names after he, she said something that he didn't want to hear, you're going to say something that he doesn't want to hear again. And last time, for all you know, that he's, that happened to him, he was a belligerent dick afterwards. But he needs to know that there's social accountability here. It's not that right. he wants to jack off at the end of this foot fetish session that's costing him the attentions and affections of foot fetish models because there's probably some foot fetish models even at the parties you've been to who would be fine with that. It's that he's a belligerent dick when he doesn't get everything his own way that makes you feel unsafe and will make other girls feel unsafe and you guys are all talking to each other. So he's shooting himself exactly. in the foot. I sort of stumbled into that metaphor. I, I do think, you know, particularly if this person doesn't know where you live and you know can't get at you and isn't violent, I think it would be smart, you know, to protect the, the you know the the sex worker community of which you are a part to communicate to him that there's accountability here, that it's not that what he wants is outside the realm of sex work permissible questions to ask, it's that when he heard no from your friend. Because she was not the foot fetish model that he wanted or the kind of client that she wanted. He was a dick. And so because he was a dick, not because he wanted to jack off, but because he was a dick, you're right. not going to risk seeing him because you don't want to spend your time with belligerent assholes who might blow up at you if they don't get everything all their own way. That's not the kind of client any sex worker wants to be trapped in a room with. You should say that to him. Okay. And I think that this guy doesn't realize sort of like in the swinger community, as you have pointed out so many times – it is a female-dominated place where if you do the wrong thing, you will never live it down. Yeah, it's a matriarchy. And I think it's important for him to understand that there is, there's a sisterhood of, of sex workers out there and they communicate with each other, particularly now in the internet era. And it's just not clients get it all their own way and can be belligerent, entitled, testosterone-soaked, male-privileged dicks about everything. That y'all are talking to each other and he's going to cost himself opportunities to get with the women he's attracted to if he's an asshole. And he has been an asshole and that cost him an opportunity to get with you. And he should know that because maybe that will prompt him to be less of an asshole. And you all should keep talking to each other about him. About any guy who shows up at the party who's a dick. You know, I, would, I haven't seen these emails. And, you know, one person's got a little hurt and tried to communicate that but not very articulate as another person's blew up and was a raging asshole dick. So you might want to turn mm -hmm. the emails over to the party organizer or disinterested third party and let that person decide whether you know his actions rose to the level of he needs his, his uh, knuckles wrapped. Mm -hmm. and let, let that person take responsibility for monitoring the client's behavior and informing him that you know he's kind of fucking himself out of opportunities in foot fetish model land by being a raging dick if indeed that's what he was. Yeah, that makes sense. Good luck. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, and now an online store. 
Their new commerce solution allows you to instantly create a store and start selling products with fast merchant account setup so you can accept payments right away. And Squarespace gives you and your website users the best mobile experience. They've developed templates with mobile-ready responsive designs, which means your site automatically restructures to look great on any device, smartphone, tablet, or computer. And of course, this means you get a mobile-ready store with the new commerce structure. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform integrating all your website needs, domains, design, development, commerce, hosting, and 24-7 customer support. For a free trial, go to squarespace.com savage. Sign up for a free account. No credit card needed. Just try it out and start building your website. Then if you decide to purchase it, use offer code SAVAGE4 and get 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, whether you want to try it for a month or a whole year. That's squarespace.com slash savage, and use offer code SAVAGE4. Yeah, hi, Dan. This is a, uh, I know you're not a marriage counselor, but a, I'm a 40-year-old who's uh, previously been very happily married for almost 12 years now, and ran into an incident tonight and would love some direction, trying to get as many opinions as possible. But uh, my wife, we were up at an event out drinking with the big group. We are uh, very monogam- uh, monogamous and never had any problems before that. And while we were there, I was in the kitchen and she went back to the bathroom, kind of disappeared for a while and uh, go back there. Lights are off in the in a room where the bathroom was, turn on the lights and heard some other guys start fumbling around and, uh, you know, find out that they were just making out but in my mind, this was cheating to me, uh, just as if they were, she was blowing him or they were having sex. And in my mind, it's cheating and trust. And do I get past this? This is very difficult. I feel like the idiot husband in the kitchen in the other room that you know, didn't know what his wife was doing. And I feel like a, you know, 12 years of marriage and 15 years of being together, that trust factor is gone. It was just a kiss, but am I overreacting? Is this something that's worthwhile to work on? Would love your thoughts. Okay, first, I'm sorry. That had to be painful. Clearly, it comes across in your voice that that was painful. You were violated and you felt humiliated and betrayed. Now, when you know, I talk about non-monogamy a lot and I also talk about adultery and cheating and, and what happens in, to a monogamous relationship when one person cheats and, and how we should react and how that should be processed and, and what should be understood um, and what the default assumption should be. You know, the default assumption culturally when someone in a monogamous relationship discovers that they've been cheated on uh, is to divorce, is that that sort of explodes the relationship and whatever the relationship, the marriage – meant up to that point, obviously uh, it has been a lie all along and it doesn't mean what you thought it meant or that incident could not have happened. And if your wife loved you and your marriage was everything that you thought it was and believed it was until that moment, then that moment would not have happened because it's impossible for someone who loves you to do that. And what we know about adultery, infidelity and long-term relationships is that it happens. Sixty-some percent of men in LTRs uh, cheat at some point during the life of the LTR, 40 percent of women. Um, some stats put those figures lower. Some research puts those figures a little higher. And since that – the men who have cheated and the women who have cheated all aren't married to each other, infidelity eventually touches almost all 
long-term relationships and marriages. And when you bear that in mind, then the question when you make a monogamous commitment and you go into a marriage is how will we react and, and what will it mean if and when this happens to us, if and when our marriage is touched by an infidelity or this kind of betrayal, even a low-level betrayal, if indeed it was just making out and this was the only time this has ever happened. And what does that mean for us? And I'm often accused of overemphasizing the importance of sex because I think people need to be sexually fulfilled in their relationships and I've sometimes given people who are stuck in unfulfilling marriages or relationships that there is no ethical way to extract themselves from. Perhaps their partner is disabled and dependent on the sex-deprived spouse for health insurance. Uh, better in that circumstance for the deprived spouse to cheat than leave, that there's a, a greater and higher loyalty and if you can – Cheat discreetly and get your needs met and stay sane and stay married. Maybe that's the less evil option. And because I say things like that, people tell me I overemphasize the importance of sex. But then the same people who accuse me of overemphasizing the importance of sex turn around and say, if you're married 10, 12, 15, 20 years and your partner cheats, has sex with someone else, even just once, you've got to divorce your partner. Oh my god. I think that overemphasizes the importance of sex. What that says is whatever else your marriage has been about up till that moment, years of, of love and commitment and sacrifice and doing for each other, the, the children you have together, the property you own together, the position really you have in society. That sounds so patriarchal and horseshitty. What I mean is the friends and family and community and neighborhood that you two are embedded in as a couple, as this going thing. All of that matters less in the final measure than that blowjob or that makeout session or that drunken, stupid – choice that you or your partner made in desperation or loneliness one night in a hotel room on a business trip. That one night in a hotel room on a business trip, that outweighs everything else the marriage was about, the children, the family, the position, the love, the, all that shared experience, all of that is exploded by that one blowjob. I think that overemphasizes the importance of sex. I think we've got it backwards when we encourage people to regard that kind of, I have to say it, routine and common betrayal as the end of a relationship, as a, as a relationship extinction level event. That puts too much importance on sex. That is not to say that what you experienced and what somebody who finds out that her husband you know, went to a jack shack one day on a business trip or cheated with somebody or the wife cheated, literally cheated with somebody or had an affair, not just an incident but an affair. That doesn't mean that that's not painful. That doesn't mean that you haven't been violated. That doesn't mean you really – that you haven't been betrayed and that you don't have a right to be angry. It's just what do you do with that anger and what do you do with that betrayal and what do you do with those feelings of violation? Can they be worked through? They can. I mean the question you have to ask yourself right now is who you want to be. Do you want to be Hillary Clinton or do you want to be Jenny Sanford? Do you want to leave the motherfucker and write a tell-all like Jenny Sanford did? Maybe she had to leave because he was a shitbag and he was in love with somebody else and was wanted to be with that person instead. So really Jenny Sanford's a terrible example perhaps. But look at Hillary Clinton. I think you look at Bill and Hillary Clinton together and despite what happened, despite you know, you talk about the feeling of humiliation, you were the duped husband in the other room. Look at Hillary Clinton's situation. Imagine her feelings of humiliation. It wasn't just something was happening in the other room while Hillary was in the White House. Something happened in the hallway off the Oval Office and the whole world found out about it. 
and she got through it. And you, you see Bill and Hillary together and you can tell, I think, that their relationship is loving, that they are a power partnership, that sex is perhaps not the defining characteristic of that marriage but there's something there. There's some baseline affection and respect and a history together and a love and you can, you can sense that it's palpable. So the question you have to ask yourself is not, you know, if you want to leave, if this ends your marriage for you, if this is something you cannot get past, okay, then it's something you cannot get past. But other people have gotten past worse and reestablish that love and affection for their partner. Other people have been Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton's Hillary Clinton and other people are Hillary Clinton. You need to talk to your wife. You need to find out exactly what happened. You need to have it out and maybe this kind of break with this monogamous expectation or the monogamous reality of your marriage is going to destroy your marriage. Perhaps it will revitalize your marriage. Perhaps it will encourage the both of you to be more honest and straightforward about sexual satisfaction, about what you were and weren't getting. And it could mean nothing. You know, Everyone wants to attach importance to affairs and it has to symbolize some other dysfunction or problem at the heart of the marriage. Maybe it was just an opportunity to feel alive. Maybe it was just somebody flirted and she hadn't felt like that in forever and she had that sort of new uh, – what are the – Swingers and polyamorous people call it new relationship energy. She had that sort of NRE, right? Not that it was a relationship, but just somebody was this a new sun was shining on her and she kind of lost control. That happens to people. You've been with your wife for 12 years, together for 15 years. You've been married to your wife for 12 years, together for 15. Presumably you love her and you loved her when you married her. You wouldn't feel so violated or betrayed. If you didn't love her, that's what makes this – if you didn't give a flying fuck about your wife, if you could take her or leave her, if you didn't give a shit about your marriage, when you walked into that room and saw your wife making out with somebody else, you would have been like, huh, whatever and turned down a heel and walked the back fuck out, right? It matters to you and it hurts and you feel violated because you love her. And I, Call me Pollyanna. Call me crazy. But I think that when you love someone, you do for them. And sometimes you suck it up for them and sometimes you forgive them. Your wife is in a position now where – your marriage is in a position now where your forgiveness is going to determine the future, whether you can scrape that up for your wife, whether this kind of routine and common betrayal, this happens in long-term relationships and marriages. Many, many, many people get through it. We don't usually hear about the people who got through it. Not everybody had a Ken Starr on their tail the way Bill Clinton did. Usually when this sort of thing happens and it leads to divorce, everybody hears about it. Then everybody makes the bullshit assumption that what happens when this, this happens is you divorce and that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. When this happens and the couple works through it and they forgive each other and they get past it and they patch it up and maybe even their relationship is revived and improved, nobody finds out about it because they don't run around telling people, yeah, we're more in touch with each other and more in love now and we have a more honest and open and direct relationship because I cheated on him and we had to process that and work through it. Ta-da! They don't say that when they work it out, when they manage to forgive each other and put it back together. <sighs> blah, blah, blah. Who put a nickel in me? I can't tell you what to do. I really can't. You have to decide whether you have it in you to forgive your wife for what she did. And you can't decide that until you know exactly why she did it. Get thee to a marriage counselor. Go. Your relationship, your marriage, what you've shared with your wife, your time together is worth at least that effort. And then decide if you can forgive her. And if you can forgive her, fucking forgive her. Do it. Be Hillary Clinton. Good luck. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. 
For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Go to adamandeve.com and order almost any one item at 50% off. Choose a new adult toy, lube, or almost anything from over 18,000 adult products. Then at checkout, enter offer code SAVAGE and you'll get to choose three free adult DVDs. That's right. You get to choose your own DVDs. Plus, receive a free mystery gift and free shipping on your entire order. Choose from all kinds of genres for both gay and straight folks. And now you can also shop on your mobile phone at Adam and Eve. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. So I'm 20. My boyfriend is 28. We've been together for four months. And um, we had sex within like two weeks of knowing each other. And at that point, I was still getting to know him. And I didn't know if I really liked him that much. And so that kind of ruined it for me. I'm never, like, horny for him now because I already had sex with him, and I didn't really like him that much in the beginning. But now I do like him a lot, and I just never, ever want to have sex with him. Like, I am more horny, like, touching myself or, you know, watching porn or, you know, anything like that. And I talked to him about, like, you know, opening up the relationship, having sex with other people, but I don't know if I would want to do that. And I don't... He definitely didn't want to do that. So, like, I don't know what to do because I'm never horny for him, but he wants to have sex, like, every day. I don't even know if there's, like, really a solution or any really good advice for this. Break the fuck up with him already. You're 20 fucking years old. It's been four fucking months. You got you didn't know if you liked him or not at first at the beginning of this epic four-month adventure and you fucked him and what you've discovered as you've hung out with him is that you do like him as a person, that he's a nice enough guy but you are not sexually and romantically attracted to this man and you need to separate those emotions. You're afraid of hurting him because you kind of like him. He's a decent guy so you don't want to dump him because he's a nice guy but you don't want to fuck him because you're not into him. And it's not because you fucked him too soon and you ruined it. It's that you fucked him and found out you don't want to fuck him. And when you fuck somebody that you're dating and you realize that there's no spark there, there's no sexual connection there, you end that because that ain't a relationship. That's not a sexual relationship. So lady, girl, you're only 20 years old. All of us needed to hear this at 20. I needed to hear this at 20. So I'm going to say this to you. Pull your head out of your fucking ass already and dump him. Not because he's an asshole. He sounds like you wouldn't like him if he was an asshole. You wouldn't like him as a friend if he was an asshole. So you're not dumping him because he's an asshole. You're just dumping him because you guys don't click. It doesn't work. You're not into him. You're not sexually attracted to him. Don't put a patch on this with opening up the relationship so you can stay with him technically in a romantic boyfriend-girlfriend relationship while you get your romantic sexual needs met elsewhere because you're not into him. Just fucking end it. The end. You're 20 fucking years old. You fucked this 28-year-old. It didn't work. You're not into him. It's over. Dump him. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 28-year-old female, straight female. And um, I'm calling you today um, about an incident that happened between my friend and I. Calling to see if you have any insight on it. So I have a friend. She's a lesbian. We've been friends for about a year. Uh, We worked together at first. And we are, you know, friends. And... We are mainly daytime buddies. We don't really go out and get drunk together too much. But there was this incident a couple nights ago where I went to a bar with her and some of her friends. And I had some shots that I just don't normally have. And I got really sick and apparently really wasted. Make a long story short, I woke up in my own vomit in her bed alone. So as I woke up 7.30 in the morning, 
I cleaned up my vomit as best as I possibly could and left her house. Um, shortly after, I got a very rude text message back from her um, saying uh, a number of things that I had done throughout the night. So she let me know, you know, how dare I leave her room smelling in vomit. Thanks a lot. I made her feel so uncomfortable that she made me sleep um, in her bed by myself. And thanks a lot. So I responded back, you know, I apologize for getting sick. I'm not really sure what happened. Um, I cleaned up my vomit as best as I could, uh, but I apologize. She went on to say that throughout the night, I got really touchy-feely with her. I was flirting. I was talking about people that I had sex with before, and it all made her feel really uncomfortable. And apparently, I had flashed her at some point in the night. Um, I responded back kind of sarcastically, like, I'm so sorry that I offended you by flashing you. I'm not interested in you in that way, and I apologize if I made you feel uncomfortable in any way. And she basically sent me a message back saying, I don't think we should be friends anymore. After I asked her why, she said that, you know, just because she's a lesbian, that doesn't mean she'll hook up with anybody. And she just doesn't want to be friends anymore. And that, uh, that's the kicker that she said is, I'll never understand because I'm not gay. And that's what really bothered me. You know, I sent her a message back saying, you know, if this is really giving up a whole friendship over and she, you know, didn't have the communications to even talk to me about this, then let it be. I don't know, Dan, what do you think? Like, am I missing out on something? Does she really have the right to pull that? Wouldn't understand because I'm not gay. Bird. I just think it's all kind of bullshit. Okay, you puked in her bed. And then she sent you a rude text message, the tone of your voice. You puked in her bed. And oh, what I hear as a parent in that I cleaned it up as best I could is I didn't really do shit to clean it up. You cleaned yourself up and you left puke in her bed. You sound like at that moment a spoiled child who has never had to clean her room in her life. I cleaned it up as best I could. That's somebody who washes the dishes as best they could and they're all covered in grease and food scraps. I'm going to lay into you. If you can't handle another angry queer getting in your face, you might want to turn this off right now because I'm going to explain to you why she's upset as a lesbian. It's because – and here's what you don't get. When you are gay or lesbian, some clueless fucking straight people have unconsciously bought the hype that we will fuck anything and that we are just sex on legs, that we aren't people, that we don't have taste preferences – that we are just sort of kind of openly sexually available. This has happened to me where some straight guy I know, usually not somebody you know well, not somebody who's a good friend, gets hammered and is suddenly on you and expects that their sexual attention, they're like the scraps they're throwing you, that you should be delighted about this because you're gay, right? So I'm touching you. I'm putting my tongue in your mouth. But you're gay. So this is okay, Right. And you're not allowed as a gay person to have taste, to have a preference for like another gay person or perhaps not this guy. Just because you're straight and I'm gay doesn't mean I'm down with whatever. It's not like I'm freely and openly available to all comers. I'm not a men's room in a truck stop that any fucking dude with a dick can walk into. But I've been treated like that by some drunk straight guys and it pisses me off because what that says to me is that they think that because I'm gay – 
that they can do that to me and that I will welcome it, that I will be delighted by their attentions. So when she says you were behaving badly and you were all over her and that you flashed her and you responded with, I'm not interested in you that way. What you were saying at that moment with I'm not interested in you in that way is, oh, yeah, I flash you my tits and I know you want me, but I'm not interested in you that way. You're suddenly after charging at her all night, turning it around on her and making her the predator and making her the one who is somehow chasing you when you were the drunk, blacked out, messy bitch who was pursuing her because you wanted to feel dangerous and a little queer and alive and she was just there. She was just a prop in your like bullshit, straight, erotic drama. That was the insult heaped on the injury. It wasn't bad enough that you were chasing her, that you were flashing her, that you were all over her because, woo, you're a girl gone wild. You're drunk and she's a your lesbian coworker. So of course she would be down with this kind of attention from you because lesbians will take whatever they can get, right? And then when she points out that she was offended by that treatment, you said, I'm not attracted to you. I'm not interested in you that way, which puts on her, of course, you're interested in me that way. And you know what? She isn't interested in you that way, just as I wasn't interested in that straight guy who was trying to get on me. I wasn't attracted to him. And he assumed that because he's a dude, I must be. And you assume because you're a girl, you, she must be because she's a lesbian and she'll fuck anything with a pussy. And then you puke in her bed and you get up and leave cleaning it up as best as you can. She was in the apartment in which you puked in her bed. She was asleep in another part of the apartment, but you somehow managed to clean the puke up so quietly you didn't wake her. You did not clean the puke up. You didn't go get a bucket. You didn't put those sheets in a washing machine. You didn't take them to the bathroom and soak them and get your fucking puke out of them because that would have woken her up. You left a little pile of sheets in the corner. You cleaned yourself up and you slunk out of her fucking apartment. And then you blow up when she sent you a rude text message. And you made your friend feel not like a human being, not like your equal, not like your friend, but as some lesbian cliche, some dehumanized fucking piece of lesbo meat that exists not to have tastes and preferences and relationships and desires of her own, but for you to act on. Someone you felt that you had, the, you had an absolute right to assault because she's a lesbian. So of course she would welcome your sexual attentions. How do you feel when men do that to you? Because you're a woman and of course straight women are into men that any man who comes at you has that right. That's how you were treating her that night. Of course she's angry. You should apologize to her. And if you treated her that way because she's queer and in your eyes, in some subconscious part of your brain – because she's queer, she's something less than human. She's something less than you. You wouldn't want to be treated that way by someone and you treated her that way because she's a lesbian. And that made her less than you. That's why she's pissed. The pri- I-, I hate to use this word. It's so like Tumblr social justice crazy. But in this case, it absolutely applies. The privilege that just drips from your voice, your inability to see what you did and what you did wrong and how badly you behaved is staggering. You get on the phone. You apologize. You go buy some 300 thread count Egyptian sheets that fit her bed and you drop them off at her house with some flowers. No, fuck the flowers. No flowers. That has a romantic connotation. You drop those sheets off with an apology note and you say, 
Dan Savage tore me 14 new assholes and now I see what I did wrong and I apologize and I'm going to try to think before I drink. And the next time I puke all over myself, I'm going to be in my own bed. Hopefully with a reflexophiliac. Thank you for calling. And we're not going to quite leave it there. I have a little announcement, some news for the Savage Lovecast community. We did a survey uh, about the Savage Lovecast a little while ago. And from the, the listeners, we found out two things that people wanted from the show. They wanted a longer show and they wanted a show with no ads. We try to do a show that's about 40 to 50 minutes and there's usually two ads per show and that was too, too many for people and there wasn't enough of me running my fucking faggot mouth and they wanted more faggot running his mouth and fewer ads. So we're going to try to give uh, this to you guys. We are developing a new site for the podcast uh, that we're going to unleash on the world, the Savage Lovecast Magnum. Unlike the uh, micro version that you're listening to right now, which is usually, again, about 40, 50 minutes with a couple of ads, the Magnum Lovecast will be twice as long and contain no ads. We're going to start doing about an hour and a half, 90-minute shows that contain no ads. The thing is that to get the longer show, there's going to be a pay mechanism and this is still being all hammered out by the tech savvy but now some of them pushing 30 – at-risk youth, some of whom want to be paid after six, seven years of doing the love cast. And so we're going to work this out. We're, gonna, we're not going to take anything away from anybody who is perfectly satisfied with the love cast as it is now. Those of you who like the 40-minute show and don't mind the ads can keep listening to the 40-minute show and keep listening to the ads. And those of you out there who've said you wanted a longer show and you want no ads, you will be able to opt in and buy that longer show with no ads. And it's going to be a small fee. It's going to be change as they say. But that will allow us to uh, ramp things up professionally here around the podcast and pay the tech savvy, at risk, pushing 30, not quite youth anymore youth, which is uh, apparently how it works now. People want to get paid. People besides me want to get paid. Who knew that that would ever happen? We're going to launch this in a few weeks and once we launch it, the website is going to look a little different. Uh, you'll still be able to comment and you can hear whatever version of the show you prefer. Again, you can keep getting all the love cast you've been getting for the last five, six, seven years. Um, but you can now get the sort of love cast platinum, love cast magnum, whatever you want to call it, uh, for a little bit of change. We're really excited about this and we hope you'll like it and we'll have more details as they become available. Now we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to give us a call to record a comment or question for a future show, please give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. If you want to make sure your comment is out there in the world for all to see, you can go to thestranger.com slash lovecast and there's a comment thread attached to each and every show. So if you have something to say, you can say it there and make sure people see it. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk pushing 30, some of them youth. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. <laughs>